Welcome to the Chris Wallace Chronicles. All right, you don't know who that is. Okay. He lives in Australia now, but he lived in Hollywood before Australia and New York before Hollywood. You know, the actor, the songwriter. He was at ringside for the first Ali Frazier fight, Liza Minnelli's date one night. He used to smoke weed with Morgan Freeman. Likes to tell stories like this one. The history of Hollywood has always been fascinating to me. I've read a lot about it and still can't get enough. It's fun to actually visit Hollywood's past, too. I've never been much interested in graveyards, but a friend made me go with him to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Douglas Fairbanks, Rudolph Valentino, and a bunch of other well-known and little-known denizens are buried there. Being in a place like that doesn't bring Hollywood to life for me. No pun intended. But a place like Mousson Franks definitely does. It was an institution back when Chaplin and Keaton and Laurel and Hardy and Max Sennett were grinding out one and two reelers. Just walking in there gives me the shivers. Same with the smokehouse across from Warner Brothers. Another place I got the shivers going to was the Formosa Cafe near what was at one time the Goldwyn Studios on Santa Monica Boulevard. That's another legendary place where Hollywood legends hung out. That list is endless. Clark Gable, Judy Garland, Sinatra and Ava, Marilyn Monroe, Warren Beatty. Oh, you get the idea. It hadn't changed much either since those early days. So it was like stepping back in time. I loved going to Will Rogers Ranch in Pacific Palisades and walking around the grounds, looking in the windows and sucking up the atmosphere there for the same reason. But there's one place that I'd never heard of that matches all of them for Hollywood nostalgia. That's the story I want to tell you. I had moved from the place I called the Homestead on Sweetser. It was the first place I lived that I furnished and decorated on my own. Before, I'd been in furnished places or lived with someone else. I didn't know how I wanted to live until I moved into the empty homestead. For instance, I didn't know that I liked being on the floor. I only had one chair in my living room in the homestead, a Boston rocker that I rarely sat in. But I had these enormous pillows made and a Persian rug under them and a coffee table that I built that had six-inch legs. I lived on the floor. Still do. The homestead is also where I grew Hollywood melon and where I learned that I liked original artwork on the walls. Speaking of the walls, I painted them outrageous colors and did some decorating in my bedroom that I'd never even heard of before. When I had to move, a friend who lived in South Central told me she saw my apartment being moved into her neighborhood. The owners had cut it up and sold it. She recognized the walls. Anyway, I moved across the street into a duplex on the southwest corner of Sweetser and First Street. It was too big for me, and I couldn't afford it. But I was into metaphysics at the time and believed the universe would provide. No comment. I call this new place the Palace. I didn't need the two floors either, but there they were. Even though I'd lived in this neighborhood, for reasons I can't explain, I never noticed a woman who lived in an apartment across First Street from the Palace. I was out on a small balcony one day, looking north toward the Hollywood Hills, and was suddenly aware of this woman looking up at me from her window on the ground floor. Usually when you catch someone looking at you the way she was looking at me, when you make eye contact, they look away or look embarrassed. Diane did neither. She just kept looking up at me. So I waved, and she waved back. Then she came out on her front porch and yelled up at me. I wondered when you were going to notice I was looking at you. She looked like she might have been in her 30s, brunette, attractive. 
You want to have a drink? Next thing I knew, I was in her living room with a beer in my hand. At this closer range, I had to alter my age assessment. She was probably in her 50s, but Hollywood 50s, not regular, everyday, normal world 50s. And here's a big surprise. Diane had been an actor at one time, at least according to her and the variety of headshots she showed me. But now she was selling real estate. Her place was expensively furnished, mostly with antique-looking stuff. She appeared to be well-looked after. Her nails and hair were done. She drove a white Mercedes sedan. Turns out she was also from a small town in Ohio, so we pretty much hit the ground running. That day was the first of many times I spent with her. As I got to know her better, I learned that she had a wicked sense of humor, that she cussed like a sailor, that she drank vodka straight from a water glass, and that you could only tell how drunk she was by her subject matter. The more she drank, the bawdier she got. Oh my God, you should have seen us. Dan and I were having dinner at Chasen's. We'd already had a few drinks, and we started to make out in one of the booths. He was fingering me under the table, and I was rubbing his crotch. Then Maud came over and said she didn't want that kind of behavior in her restaurant and told us to leave. So we went out to the parking lot and fucked in the back seat of the car. We used to fuck everywhere and anywhere. He was such a dog. Then she'd take another gulp of vodka. Another time it would be, you know, I was a starlet when I first got here. I fucked all of them. Bert, Kirk, Chuck, they couldn't get enough of me. I was a hot little thing. You probably want to fuck me too, but we'll have to wait and see about that. Then she'd laugh a dirty laugh and chug more vodka. The thing was that she was sexy and flirtatious and hadn't underestimated her appeal even a little, even in her 50s. Then one day she said she wanted to take me to one of her favorite places in Hollywood. Up until then, we always spent our time together talking in her apartment. And I mean talking. What are you doing tomorrow night? You want to go on a date? I said, yeah. She said, you have to wear a jacket and tie unless you have a tux. I'll wear a suit, I said. I couldn't wait for the next night. Diane fascinated me the way an old movie does, or old Hollywood does. She was classic. I learned that all the lovely stuff that furnished her apartment was stuff she'd picked up at estate sales. Everything. The crystal, the bric-a-brac, the chairs, the rugs, even the white Mercedes. So when she offered to take me to one of her favorite places in Hollywood, it was a no-brainer. The next night, which was a weeknight, by the way, we pile into her Mercedes and go north to sunset on the Beverly Hills end. And there was Veritas. I'd passed it a million times. It was a corner bar, and it looked old. I think this used to be a speakeasy, Diane said. Veritas still owns it and runs it. I'll introduce you. I'd always thought the name was Veritas, as in Latin for truth, but Verita was the woman's name. She was Bogey's mistress, Diane said. Well, one of them. He may have helped her buy it, I'm not sure. This place was interesting already, and we hadn't stepped inside yet. Diane took my arm, and in we walked. Into a time machine. It was Hollywood in the 40s. It could have been a set for an old private eye movie. The lighting was dim and smoky. There was a large circular bar in the center of the room, and booths and tables around the edges. Verita greeted Diane like an old friend, and when I was introduced to her, she kept looking back and forth between Diane and me as if to say, looks like you bagged yourself a good one, honey. I loved it. Verita had long, dark hair that flowed down her back. Human hair. 
not hers. She sat us in a booth along the wall. Directly opposite us was a small stage with a piano and mic set up. By now, my eyes had adjusted to the light enough so that I could see the other patrons. And there were quite a few, the place is almost full. And on a weeknight, remember. At first glance, it seemed like a bunch of nothing-to-see-here Hollywood couples, hot-looking blondes with an older guy. The women were all wearing long gowns, and the men were either in suits, like me, or actually wearing tuxedos. Then you look closer at these young hotties. They were slim and graceful and svelte, from the back. But when you got a look at them from the front, they looked like Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. The makeup was caked on their faces, their very taut, expressionless faces. It was macabre. Diane was beaming. It's like she'd come home. All of a sudden, the stage lights come up, and a redhead, easily in her 60s, but who could really tell, stepped onto the stage and took the mic in her rhinestone-loaded hand. Everybody applauded before she even cleared her throat. I had to be the only one there who didn't know who she was. The accompanist played an arpeggio, and she started to sing. It was a Marlena Dietrich number. She sang it like she was in a Berlin cabaret in the 30s. Same gestures, same naughty inflection, same pizzazz, and same big kick-ass finish. The piano player followed every nuance. This is obviously not the first time they'd worked together. When she finished, the place went nuts. Wild applause, whistles. She thanked her audience with great humility, bowed deeply, and stepped out of the light. Next, a curly-haired blonde of the same vintage stepped onto the stage. Same response from the audience. She smiled at them, gave a nod to the piano player, and belted out a hot Betty Hutton number. I felt like I was in a time warp. She was bouncy and cute and sold it like a trooper, despite the fact that her accent sounded Hungarian to me. She took a bow and bounced off the stage, giving it a little kick behind her as she went. Again, the place went wild. This went on for what must have been close to an hour. One by one, people came out of the audience and onto the stage and did their stuff. A tenor with slicked down dyed hair and a pencil mustache sang The Road to Mandalay. A baritone who did everything he could to look and sound like Nelson Eddy sang The Donkey Serenade. It was amazing. The piano player knew every subtlety, every chord, every stop, and every gag for every performer who stepped onto the stage. It didn't take much to imagine that he'd been doing it since they were all fresh newbies looking for their break. Diane knew every performer and would give me a little nudge when each one came on, as if to say, where'd you hear this? Sitting there, I had a flashback to Sammy's Bowery Follies in New York. I went there one night and saw these beautiful old 60, 70, or 80-year-old troopers dressed in gay 90s costumes sing what were hits in their day, like Carolina Moon. I don't even think you can Google that one. Some of those women had to be helped on the stage, they were so frail. But once they got there, they sold it. Now, here I was in Hollywood witnessing a similar thing from a different era. I didn't know if I was in a Fellini movie or Midnight in Paris. Everybody dressed to the nines, being glamorous, living the Hollywood of their youth in this one refuge left to them, Veritas. When we walked out of there, it was like coming back from a trip to Saturn. I never went back there again, and never met anyone else who had even noticed the place, let alone entered it. He's looking at you, kid. I'm Chris Wallace.